What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined, as always, by our site publisher, Chris Cartman. And Chris, this is kind of an exciting edition of the podcast just because we get to actually analyze a schedule, albeit a condensed version, but but we're, we're on the precipice of in-person games and, and coverage, and we're going get to be getting into all of that, obviously. But first off, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know what? We have some football that we can talk about with an actual schedule and uh, practices that are coming up. So it's like the tangible types of things that uh, make for easier conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. Right. And that's why it's uh, definitely an exciting time as we've been waiting. And it's it's been an odd kind of year with everything going on. But we're, we're almost there. And uh, we're going to continue to to produce some great content, including these podcasts. And before we get into the schedule, as we're going to we're going to even before that, Mason, how are you doing? You know, I'm good. It's been busy, but but I'm enjoying things and uh, I'm I'm definitely ready for some ASU college football and to kind of get back in the saddle. Uh, We'll we'll get into our practice coverage and and what that's going to look like, obviously. And it will be different, but we're going to we're going to still produce some great stuff for everyone. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And it starts with with this year. We've already kind of broken a couple a couple news. We broke the team captains. Also, as we're recording this on Tuesday, October six, just broke the Elijah Badger news and his ineligibility for the twenty twenty season. Chris, can you kind of walk us through uh, how this came to be and the implications uh, for this season with Badger ineligible? Yeah. So um, first, let's just say that we uh, we also were first to report the news of ASU's team captains yesterday. And then today we were first to report the Elijah Badger academic ineligibility for this year. So Sun Devil Source, hope you got it locked, not just a podcast for those of you who are podcast obsessed. Um, Go to the site. It's all there. It's all there. Go there, join, communicate with everybody. Got the most active message board, VIP fans, got everything, recruiting, everything you want. Okay. Plug done. So, (laughs) Um, Badger, we knew that he was a little bit more academically at risk. Um, he has been accepted into the university and he's able to practice in full with the team this year, but not able to, uh, compete in games. This is not, um, it doesn't happen a lot in football, uh, but it has happened sometimes. Some more prominent examples that people will probably be familiar with would be in basketball, uh, Jahi Carson and Romello White both had forced uh, academic red shirts. Um, the way that this works typically is if a player uh, then uh, uh, does everything that everybody else is supposed to do academically in terms of the process, uh, progress toward graduation requirements every year that are, that are uh, essential for uh, continuing eligibility, they, they can play their second year. So Badger has the ability to be able to play um, uh, in the fall of 2021. And then the way that this typically works is that after four years at the university, if you're 80% toward graduation, you can get that lost year back. That was an initial forced academic, uh, uh, red shirt. So there is still the possibility that a guy like Badger could be at ASU five years. Then also remember there no eligibility is actually counting for players this year. Anyways, uh, the clock is going to be the same for everybody. Uh, next year, regardless. So in from a the overall eligibility standpoint, this really will not likely have much of an impact to him. More immediately, though, 
I think ASU fans know that um, with Brandon Ayuk and Kyle Williams departing, ASU only has Frank Darby back uh, among players who had more than 10 catches last season. Uh, not a lot of production back at the, at the group. They were looking for uh, some fortification from this high-profile uh, crop, this historic crop, really, of, of four four-star wideouts that they signed out of the high school ranks. Badger, one of the four, along with Johnny Wilson, uh, L.V. Bunkley-Shelton, and Chad Johnson, Jr., um, all three of those guys are uh, immediately eligible for competition. Um, this is a nugget that I typically would reserve for our VIP audience, but just to give you another little piece of info that maybe entices you to subscribe uh, to the site and, and uh, also listen to our premium podcasts. Um, but what I've been hearing pretty consistently is that Johnny Wilson and L.V. Bunkley-Shelton uh, have made the biggest immediate impact among uh, the wide receivers who are new to the program. I think both of those guys will be among the top five or six uh, wideouts on the team. Uh, this is the, one of the most fluid uh, position groups that there is, maybe the number one most. Um, after Frank Darby, there's not a lot of clarity between who is the number two wideout all the way down to like who is the number five or six or even seven wide out on the team and that's going to work itself out over the coming weeks right and we know obviously badger won't be a part of it this season and i had a follow-up just uh, something i was curious about because of the eligibility this season how it doesn't count does that mean if badger doesn't play when he won't play is he going to be considered a red shirt freshman next year or will he still be considered a true freshman because of these eligibility rules while other players play and it doesn't count against them either that's a good question. And actually I'm still sort of awaiting clarity on that. Like I have heard something, but we didn't sp expressly include this in our reporting because I think there was some uncertainty from the sources that we talked to that provided this information with direct knowledge about that particular component of it. So um, I don't know whether he's going to be listed as a redshirt freshman next year or as just a freshman next year however it's sort of a semantical difference um because he would have the ability to gain back that year of eligibility as i said earlier uh if he chooses to pursue that if he is 80 percent toward completion of his degree after four years at asu including this year um and and really i i think it's kind of probably unlikely that elijah badger is at asu for five uh, uh, academic years anyways. So I don't know a hundred percent that answer. So I don't want to say, I, I think I know, but I don't know for sure. So we're going to continue to sort of, uh, uh, delve into that component of it. Ordinarily, this wouldn't be, uh, confusing whatsoever, but it's just this particular year with the COVID eligibility related rules and this particular situation being unique that that makes it to where I need to do a little bit more reporting on that before saying. And we'll have the answers for you on the site at sundevilsource.com. So make sure you keep it locked for, for all of the future reporting that we're going to follow this up with. But moving on, obviously, to the much-anticipated schedule release. 
on October 3rd, the, the conference had its seven-game schedule kind of announced, and Herm Edwards was on and, and discussing it. Chris, I know you, we had some takeaways from that. But just going over the schedule, just from a, a general standpoint, ASU kicks off the year November 7th on the road against USC. And then November 14th, their cross-divisional opponent from the north is Cal. They also play Colorado on the road November 21st, followed by a homestand against Utah and UCLA on November 28th and December 5th. And then a Friday game at Arizona on December 11th before the conference championship week. So based on that, what were some of your initial takeaways and just looking at ASU's maybe advantages compared to some other teams in the conference? So uh, first blush thought is this is a, a pretty good to, to maybe very good schedule for ASU. Uh, some of the reasons, uh, number one, they, uh, the two road games that they have other than USC are against uh, probably the easiest two opponents in the South. Um, you want to, you want ideally to play uh, your easiest opponents on the road when you're a quality team capable of competing for the division championship. So ASU got that. Then um, additionally, playing USC first is an advantage in multiple respects. Uh, you know, number one is uh, everybody knows, I think at this point that you, that California and Oregon had more restrictions on what their football players could do throughout the off season. They had these cohort rules that restricted gatherings to 12 people, meaning that they weren't able to do any of the on-field big group, seven on seven, 11 on 11 skill development sessions that ASU had had been able to do for three months plus. Um, so, So that's an advantage. And then the conditioning of ASU should probably be, and just overall physical readiness should be a little bit better than USC. Now, uh, as importantly, if not more importantly than those factors, is uh, USC will not have any film of ASU running its offensive and defensive schemes. The Trojans, in order to prepare for this game, will have to look at Zach Hill's offense at Boise State and then overlay that with uh, film of ASU's personnel and their knowledge of ASU's personnel. Um, that is very difficult to prepare for, especially because Zach Hill will probably make some, some new sort of wrinkles to what he's doing schematically specific to what he thinks the capability of his personnel is. Okay. And then defensively, uh, this is Marvin Lewis's defense today as he was installing. So now the Trojans are going to have to go watch NFL defense and what Marvin Lewis was doing there to try to figure out what ASU is going to be doing. Now, there, you know, we did uh, shoot some film from spring ball. I think that these teams are going to actually be scouring what we put out at, at Sun Devil Source and other. I wouldn't be surprised. They no, I guarantee you that they are going to be trying to find every, anything that they can a video of the spring to try to see what the installs look like. They better and subscribe. Get a I'm pretty sure they are. I'm pretty sure everybody's on all these sites because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of important, you know, like they figured it out, you know? So, right. um, but yeah, so I see those as advantages, of course, playing with no fans in the stands is an advantage. Uh, and then also this is much smaller, but ASU practices in the mornings. Anyways, uh, this is one week after the daylight savings 
change. Of course, the time doesn't change in Arizona. So <clears throat> it's the game is will feel like uh, it'll be 10 a.m. kickoff the way it feels for ASU players. But 9 a.m. by a week after daylight savings, the way that it will probably feel for USC's players. So the game will kind of probably feel earlier and with no crowd to get them sort of amped. Um, you know, there, there's like a, a, a few sort of challenges that I see here. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this is probably, you know, in, in a number of respects, the best situation for ASU to be playing USC. There is a disadvantage that one disadvantage that I can think of, in addition to not having run the schemes before, right, is uh, on offense in particular, ASU is going to be relying on freshman players and new players that uh, transfers. So they may not have the same cohesiveness or chemistry or, um, or just the ability to incorporate some of these new pieces against a high caliber athletic opponent of a USC versus if they had played several games. But I think that trade-off is actually quite worth it for the element of surprise, disguise, uh, and the fitness sort of differences that may be present. So, I, um, you know, look, the, the ASU versus USC is, is the winner of that game is going to have the, a big edge, the clear leader for the, in the, the race for the, the South title. I don't think that's very clear. Um, uh, it's not to say that Utah uh, potentially can't also factor into the mix. I think that that's very much possible, even though they have a lot of players that they're replacing, um, even more than ASU or USC. And, um, and, and so we'll see there. But ASU gets Utah at home. It's a big, big advantage. Uh, and even, even with no fans, not, not having to travel, not having to do cold weather as part of that travel. And then also ASU only has one cold weather game, which is the Colorado game in November. Um, or maybe it's early December. I, I forget. It's, I, I think it's around like kind of like, I think it's uh, actually the third week in November. So it's November 21st. Got it. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So what should ASU fans expect for this season? Right. Um, that's what people want to know. ESPN's FPI, which was pretty wrong last year. Uh, Generally is, more wrong than it was right. Yeah. In fact, after ASU lost to Colorado, it, it, projected, it projected ASU would have a losing season and uh, not make a bowl game. So wow. that obviously didn't happen. So right. it, it, it projects ASU to be three and three this season. Um, you know, the USC is the toughest game. Uh, after that, it's very close between Cal and Utah. ASU playing Cal is tougher than USC and, and uh, Utah's cross divisional opponents, which are uh, I forget which is which, but one is Oregon, one is uh, one is Oregon State, and one is Washington State, I believe. So that's you know those are two of the easier teams, and those are definitely better, more favorable for them than playing Cal. But the game is in Tempe, so that's a plus for ASU. So that would be the second, probably. Those are the two next toughest games. And then after that, I, I think that um, it's pretty close between the three others. Um, UCLA at home, on the road, Colorado on the road, Arizona. Um, I think 
even though ESPN FPI projects three and three, I really think that it's fair for ASU fans to expect at least four and two. Four and two is sort of the minimum uh, barometer that would be a successful season, in my estimation. Three and three, not a successful season. Uh, they have, um, you know, put together um, winning seasons in each of the last two years, first two under Herm Edwards. There's no reason to expect with this schedule being what it is, the advantages that ASU had in preparation and Jaden Daniels being one of the top quarterbacks in the league, having one of the, the now more experienced defenses in the league, certainly in the South. Uh, I think four and two is, is the minimum expectation. And there is very much a possibility of like a five and one type of a season, particularly if ASU can beat USC. That's the driver's seat, beat USC. Um, five and one may or may not win the South. Um, you know, but if it beats USC, then that probably does win the South, uh, including if it's a five and one with a win over USC, probably is. So um, I'm very interested in kind of seeing how the whole thing shakes out. And I think it is important for momentum for ASU to put together a winning season, even if it is, uh, you know, one that has a lot more sort of variables that can inject themselves with uh, COVID and guys maybe not being able to play or who knows what can happen. But uh, I think they do need to get a winning season to keep their sort of momentum going. And our, our VIP members know, Mason, that we have been saying for a long time now that 2021, fall 2021 is really when ASU uh, has an opportunity to kind of be peaking and have uh, a really uh, great opportunity. Yeah, and there's a huge disparity between three and three, four and two, and five and one this year. All three of those records have very different implications, especially in a six-game season uh, in terms of what ASU fans' feelings will be toward the program and I, very quickly I do want to get your your kind of take on how the the broadcast schedule is obviously the USC ASU game uh, kicks off the Pac-12 schedule they want to get uh, a lot of national kind of attention on it but the morning start doesn't necessarily help in that regard it might be better on the east coast than a, a super late kickoff but it is nationally televised on Fox there's a Friday game against uh, Arizona at the end of the year and there were 44 or so games picked up by ESPN and non-Pac-12 network outlets. Uh, what was your take on on how the broadcast schedule has kind of shook out? Yeah, I mean, I, I what, what essentially happened, I believe, is the Pac-12 decided that they wanted to be able to get paid as much of their tier one, what's called tier one uh, broadcast rights, which are... Uh, directly uh, affiliated with their partnerships with Fox and, and, and ESPN and ABC. So what that means is if they had put games on the Pac-12 network, they would have been literally taking money out of their own pockets from the tier one money. I think it's, I think it's a, a, if they maxed out the tier one money, meaning that they had the, 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 the max, the minimum threshold number of games uh, on the tier ones, it would have been something like $220 million. I'll have to go back and double check. I apologize. I didn't know this was going to be part of the, the, 
the what I was going to talk about. But hitting you with something random, random thoughts, Chris. That's okay. That's okay. You know, got to be prepared. But so, anyways, I think I think what ASU, what, what the Pac-12 decided is let's try to squeeze out as much of that two hundred twenty million or whatever it is uh, as po- as we possibly can, and doing it this way where there's no Pac-12 games. Uh, they, they save on the expenses of the network. The network is not really a big revenue generator anyways. Let's be, let's be honest. Right. Uh, relative to these tier one month contracts. And then they'll probably be able to get like two thirds, maybe to three quarters of that tier one money to be able to distribute amongst the conference members. So I don't necessarily think that that's the wrong decision, uh, from a financial standpoint. Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I know fans weren't super thrilled with the the super early start time, at least on the West Coast, and then the Friday games. But uh, it'll it all shake out how it's supposed to, and fans are just going to be happy that there's ASU football back. But uh, before we move on to kind of the practice schedule and how our coverage is going to look like, you guys can go check out our Sun Devil Source staff predictions for what we think ASU's end record is going to be tentatively subject to change, but it's live on the site now. Uh, you guys can go check that out for our VIP members and also get more analysis in the Devil Sanctuary, the largest VIP forum for ASU fans. Now, Chris, like I mentioned, the practice schedule was released, and there's gonna it's going to look a whole lot different in terms of what we're going to be able to do uh, from, from a daily content standpoint. Obviously, more restrictions this year uh, compared to years past. I mean, this is an unprecedented situation. So how does it look and what can our listeners expect from us moving forward? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be normal. Um, It's not going to be anything, you know, closely approximating normal. ASU typically is great with uh, with media access to practices relative to what goes on across the country and even in the Pac-12. Um, but the COVID-related uh, concerns uh, have led uh, basically almost all schools across the country to have uh, entirely closed or 90 plus percent closed uh, uh, practices in terms of the observation, the, the, the typical observation periods and um, there will not be any in-person interviews anywhere, but not just ASU, but really across the country. What, what, uh, what that means is we were not, we're, and by the way, we're, we're working and talking with ASU about potential loosening of some of these um, rules around practices. Can't make any promises. Hopeful that maybe at some point in time, um, there is some evolved perspective and maybe we get some more in-person stuff. I think our, our fans know that um, we have very robust practice coverage on a daily basis that includes participation and availability notes, full depth chart, and a lot more just kind of notes about things that we see. Um, Absolutely you know, packed with content on practice days. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, every day is like, three, four things just on practice. And that those are not going to happen from an observation standpoint this year. Now we've been told that ASU is going to be putting out some types of notes from practices. Um, you know, it's not going to be what, what, what we do. And obviously it's from ASU. So it's probably going to be colored to the positive and not so much, you know, things that are um, not good or that they, that, that the, the program would prefer not to have out there. It won't be Chris Cartman straight analysis from observations. That's for sure. Well, it's, it's, it's not from an unbiased perspective, right? Like the, right. our, we're 
we're doing it dispassionately, just like we got to tell everybody what's going on. These are the facts. Uh, this is how we're seeing it. So, uh, and then, you know, just the, the, the level of, of detail re related to um, how long we've been doing it, right? But so, um, you know, there, there is going to be, there's a schedule that ASU put out. There's going to be these Zoom sessions with uh, ASU, with Herm Edwards and ASU's coordinators, all three of them, uh, Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce, Zach Hill. Um, you know, I, I, no slight to Sean Slocum. I don't know if he's going to be doing any Zooms. But, um, but yeah, and, and then we will have Jane Daniels and, and there will be, uh, what we'll do uh, is we will basically clip uh, all of these, um, you know, the, the highlight po points of all of these uh, Zoom videos and we will uh, share them with our audience so everybody can see the video, the most important video, or maybe even the full video, depending on what your preference is. Uh, of these post-practice interviews. We're still going to be able to ask all the questions that we normally do, as far as my understanding. And you know, we do uh, tend to ask a lot of questions and try to pull out as much as we possibly can. And um, you know, one thing that I think is um, gonna be the case now that people will see is just like we were first to report the, the news of the team captains and the Elijah Badger situation, um, not everyone's going to get everything at the same time as uh, now, which has typically been the case when you're out there every single day at practice. So that means that probably even more than ever, our, our, our VIP audience is going to have an advantage in terms of the, the types of uh, nuggets that we're able to, uh, to you know, find uh, about what's going on with the team. So this Basically, is maybe, if you're not in the Devil's Sanctuary now, get in now. Honestly, like I like it sounds like it's it's super like salesy to do this, but and I, I didn't even know I was going to. But really, this is like the year that you're going to see and that our information is uh, really good relative to what else is typically out there on uh, ASU football. So, uh, looking forward to you know just doing the best that we can with that aspect of it. Um, you know, as far as game coverage, uh, we're we're you know, it looks like they're going to have a limited amount of uh, uh, media members in the press box, but still the uh, post game stuff is going to all be digital through Zoom. Um, so there's not going to be any sort of direct interfacing, but we are going to have the ability to develop features and talk individually with, with uh, players on the phone and uh, their family members. And, and at the end of the day, Mason, it's important just to sort of reiterate to our audience there's a lot of coverage. Like there's going to be a lot of coverage. We last year during the football season, we broke records in terms of the amount of content that we generated. In fact, um, September through December, we had more than 200, sometimes as much as 250 pieces of content every month. Uh, you know, probably I would say 30% of that was VIP content. So we're talking about like, like every single day, one or two pieces of VIP things that you're not getting anywhere else. And uh, I, I think that's gonna continue. Um, there's, we're gonna put out more stuff than anybody. We're gonna have a lot of quality stuff. Um, and then obviously this doesn't even uh, cover the recruiting piece that we do, which uh, I, I'm uh, gonna be starting next week, rolling out uh, evaluations of all of ASU's uh, 21 current commits. Uh, between uh, next week 
and uh, the start of the early signing period in mid-December, we'll probably have one to two of those every single week as we get ready for that. So there's a lot of things uh, coming up that we are very excited for. We're going to keep you guys all super informed as much as we can, and we're going to navigate all of the, the new challenges of this, this unprecedented time, and we're going to get you all the info that you, you want and need. But right now, Chris, that's going to do it for the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for site publisher Chris Cartman. Once again, I've been your host, Mason Curran. Thanks for listening, and make sure you tune into the premium podcast that's coming up later today.